I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. Rodenbach is a Belgian institution. It is the largest and most iconic producer of Flemish red-brown ale and the only brewery which devotes itself entirely to variations of that style. The brewery comprises both state-of-the-art brewing equipment and hall after hall of large standing wooden vats, some of which are over 150 years old and in which beer matures for up to two years. These historical cellars are considered archaeological heritage and as such, they're protected by a decree of the Flemish government. Time and blending expertise are the principal currencies at the brewery. It's regarded by many, and rightly so, as a national treasure. My guest this evening is the site manager at Rodenbach. He's one of the most knowledgeable men on the topics of brewing, blending and flavour in one of the most knowledgeable beer nations in the world. His vast experience and self-deprecating charm ensure he has become one of the most respected beer personalities on the planet. Here he talks about developments at the brewery in his lifetime, what makes Rodenbach unique, and his concerns and hopes for the style generally. Sit back, listen, and enjoy Rudi Gehire. You're in Ghent. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you come to Ghent often? Not so often, but uh, I've made my studies here. So. Ah, you studied here? Yeah. So you like the study? Yeah, uh, I really like the city. But you're born and bred Ruslare. That's right. I grew up, I was born in Ruslare. I grew up in the neighborhood of Ruslare, in Pulkapalle, not so far away, between Ypres and uh, maybe closer to Ypres. But um, I followed high school in in Ruslare and afterwards I came to to Ghent. And you're obviously, you're working in Rodenbach for 34 years. Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yes. Oh, okay, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And sort of when you were growing up in the Ruslada, did you have an aspiration to be sort of one of the leading figures in the Rubenbach Brewery or...? No, 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 no. Um, no, um, I, I think it was a little bit of luck <laughs> that I have had. Uh, no, I was um, crazy about food. Maybe I was more a foodie. I'm a, an agriculture engineer specialised in food. And food is, is one of my uh, my inspirations. And beer is also food, so awesome. you're not so far away. And did you, you so you studied agricultural engineering? Yeah. And then um, you got a job offer or you applied to, to work in Rodenbach? Uh, first of all, I, I worked in a, um, in a factory of uh, frozen vegetables. Uh, there I started my, uh, my career. And then I, uh, I changed to, um, to Rodenbach. To become the, the purchaser of Rodenbach. So I purchased all the raw materials, investments, uh, all the things they needed between uh, 82 and um, 92. Um, in um, 93, the, um, the, the, the function of um, uh, production director became free and uh, I, um, I was interested in it. 
So I became the, the production director since 93, end of 93, and then uh, since then. Um, the rest is history, be, really, yeah. Uh, okay. And, and sort of um, at that early stage when you were sort of joining Rodenbach, mm-hmm. um, you were a food lover, were you also a beer lover? Did you drink a lot of different Belgian beers or taste a lot of different... Yeah, I tasted a lot of different beers. Um, um, most most of all, the the, the classical Rodenbach, because um, I've lived together with my wife and children in the brewery between 84 and uh, 96. So... Uh, Brewery became a part of, of our family. So that this beer is as well as kind of very much part of your, yeah, your, your growing up. Yeah, uh, uh, we became a, a part of the family, a, a part of uh, maybe also the history of the brewery. Yeah. So we're drinking the uh, the the classic now. So tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about this beer and the flavor profile of this beer. It's a typical flavor profile, a well balanced beer, um, a slightly acidity. So this is uh, pH 3.5, similar to a um, white wine, to a Chardonnay wine. Um, you have um, a green apple flavor in the taste, in the nose, and in the taste you have it also. And is this this is kind of, I mean, in terms of sort of the, your production and, the, and the, the, the products that you, you have at Rodenbach, would this one be the most popular? Yes, this is in terms most, of volume. Yeah, okay. This is um, more than eighty uh, percent of our volume. Yeah. So it's a very important beer for you. Yes, the most important beer uh, for the brewery, and um, and at my opinion, thanks to the, the the balance in the product, balance not only in the taste but also between the nose and the taste. Uh, it's also very important for a sour beer, even for a bitter beer, but certainly for a sour beer that you have. Uh, that you that you are um, uh, that there is a certain awareness that um, that the product will be sour, so you need a, a sour flavor to discover the sourness in the taste. That's also a balance that is very important. We have the same with bitter beers. If you have a, a, a double IPA or a triple IPA without uh, late hopping or dry hopping, and you were not you will not be warned that uh, you will have a very bitter taste then it is shocking and uh, for all food it's so important that there is also a balance between uh, the flavor and the taste and i mean you obviously you travel quite a bit um mm-hmm. talking about Rodenbach and seeing other other places uh, you've just come back from a trip to america that's right how was that yeah amazing yeah. <laughs> uh, very intensive um i discovered there once again uh, a lot of beer geeks beer lovers um, and which the, parts of America were you, were you traveling in? I started in Houston, Texas. Uh, the day after, I was in Los Angeles. Then the day after, in uh, San Diego. Went back to Orange County and then uh, back to Los Angeles. So one week. One week of uh, crazy uh, yeah. activity. Yeah. And how would you describe American people's sort of interest in beer or, or appetite for, for beer? Um, I think much more... Comparing here, here we um, we have uh, very few um, people who are very interesting in beer, uh, high educated and um, and and, uh, and very well interested. There, I think you will find more of them. Uh, it's it's a, uh, it's a whole movement over there. Yeah, I mean here in Belgium, Rodenbach is a household name. 
in in America or in other countries, I think it's 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 got a huge sort of fan base as well. So I presume when you go to places like America, you obviously have. You're surrounded in groupies. <laughs> you have people coming up and buying you drinks. Is that the yeah. case? <laughs> like that, yes. But uh, the, the most important thing for most of uh, of the the, the, um, the home brewers and, and and the craft brewers is to know how we are doing it because they are very interesting uh, and interested uh, to imitate our product and production process. And I mean, is do you see that as a good thing, or do, I mean, how do you how do you receive that as being kind of the? Oh, uh, it's it's a part of um, um, of the game. So if you go over there, uh, you have to know what you can say, what you will not say, and um, uh, so um, I'm I'm dedicated to the brewery I'm working for. So um, I will not uh, tell them the secrets and the treasures of the brewery, but the real treasure of the brewery. Is uh, or the, the wooden vats that we have, yeah, the fooders, uh, the fooders, and that's the most important thing. Uh, uh, we have not to share that. We cannot share that, and we will not share that. Uh, well, I'm going to try and get you to share more of it, but we'll come back to talk about fooders in yeah. a second. So y- you mentioned that you kind of had a, a couple of different roles within Rodemack over time, and you were there then for the takeover of Palm, who mm-hmm. came, um, and I, I'm just wondering if that had sort of any. Did that present any sort of challenges, or were there there was probably some quite some big advantages to that, and maybe some disadvantages? There always be advantages, also uh, disadvantages. Um, I discovered um, uh, in in the, in the guys of Palm uh, guys who are very interested in uh, interested in beer, who had a, a huge respect for what we are doing over there, have given us a lot of um, opportunities. Uh, to renew the brewery because, um, um, as you know, the the, the, the brew house in, in, in which we, we made our brews dated from um, 1864. So uh, thanks to Palm, we have had the possibility to build a new brew house and that was very, very important for the brand and for the brewery. Yeah. Um, so that is... Uh, okay, we, we stopped our bottling activity, but... Um, uh, bottling beers is a factory. Brewing beers, that's a brewery. And that's a big difference. Yeah. And I mean, they, they obviously, um, they, they've got some other quite respect, highly respected brands. So they, they're obviously involved with uh, Browery Bone. Yes. Um, and, you know, how much sort of, um, how how much, not, not, not interfere, but how much... Um, do they kind of stretch their arms into the day-to-day running of the brewery? Um, if at all. Yeah, okay. But I think it's uh, really the, the, the owner, uh, Jan Toya, who is um, a well-respected man and uh, who is really a beer lover and who wants to save uh, original beer stars. And uh, thanks to him, uh, Frank Boon has had the, have had, had the possibility to build out his brewery. And now he, he has... I think one of the most interesting and, uh, and and most beautiful lambic breweries in uh, in Belgium, maybe in the world. So was was Rodenbach before Palm came? Was it completely independent? It was completely independent. Yes. Was it was it successful? Was it doing well, or did it need that kind of boost from Palm to to take it to the next level? We were uh, we were very successful in the early eighties, and then we lost um, a part of our business. Uh, to the, uh, the, the, the white beers uh, of Belgium. They became very popular at the end of the 80s 
early 90s. And then uh, Palm had, uh, sorry, Rodenbach had bought uh, a second brewery, uh, brewery de Houdenboom in Brugge. That was the end brewery, yeah. Yes, and then uh, with Brugge Starwebier, Brugge Triple, and the Abbey Beers of, Sin, uh, of Steenbrugge. Uh, but the family of Rodenbach had sold part of the shares um, to Palm. So Palm came into the, the business in Brugge and uh, learned uh, the family. Uh, so they, they, Palm knew the family very well of Rodenbach, and so they have had the, the opportunity to buy the shares of Rodenbach and uh, also those uh, of the Rodenboom. So they had at once two breweries in '98. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you see that the partnership with Palm will, will continue, and it's going strong at the minute. So it'll, there's no reason to think it would. Oh, um, okay, the beer business is is, is um, going on. And uh, is moving, and uh, also for us, um, I have a lot of trust in it, and I believe that uh, there is a future for us. Um, um, after the the wheat beer hype um, we have had in um, uh, the 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 new century, uh, the hype of the, the the sweet cherry beers, who are now disappeared. And and uh, overall, in the last thirty years, we have had a lot of interest of. Um, uh, in, in high alcoholic beers um, I believe that the easy drinking beers and certainly the, uh, the specialities or the special easy drinking beers um, uh, has a future um, because alcohol is one thing but is also dangerous so uh, I think people will discover that, there, that you could also have a lot of flavour in less alcohol, alcoholic beers Yeah, I mean, you mentioned as well the kind of the, the rise and then I suppose the fall of the the kind of the Belgian wit beer, mm-hmm. um, and I mean other beers that are kind of specialty beers that have been low alcohol have also mm-hmm. kind of suffered the same fate. For example, something like a special Belge. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been ups and downs in in this sort of beer style in terms of its commercial uh, health? How can I say? Um, high alcoholic beers here in Belgium are very popular, but when when you look to the states. Um, the, the 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 brands and the styles who are uh, doing best are more um, uh, easy drinking styles. Um, I was in a brewery, three tavern breweries, uh, in during my fall tour last year, and uh, they were surprised. They started the brewery uh, one and a half year um, earlier, and the most popular brand they had was um, a dry hop pills. So mm-hmm. yeah. And they were surprised. They thought uh, all the high alcoholic beers will be uh, more successful. No, yeah. it was the... People wanted beers. something that was sort of drinkable, but full of Very flavor. drinkable, uh, well-balanced. And um, uh, I think um, you may not be infected very quick by the alcohol. Otherwise, you cannot drink. Uh, you have no fun or the fun is very short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. You have just come back from America. Mm-hmm. You're now in Ghent uh, yeah. talking to me. Um, you're, you obviously have quite a, a variety of things within your job. Mm-hmm. So kind of what would, how would you describe a typical day for Rudiger here? Ah, I start really on time, um, 7.30. Then I try to make a tour to see um, the operators and, uh, and, and, and the people and the people who, I'm working with how many people are, are in there that you would um, 25 uh, in total and um, 
So we have three activities in the brewery. We have um, our own production, uh, production and some contract work, also a distribution center. We distribute beers and refreshing drinks to the pubs in the town, and then also a visitor center. So mm-hmm. these three things are uh, under my responsibility. Uh, then I do, um, uh, I do some uh, uh, control uh, and then um, working on the internet and, uh, and Outlook and uh, most of all, and I have we have some meetings. Uh, but I'm also the the purchaser for um, the group for uh, the Palm Be- Palm Belgium Craft Brewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing also the purchasing of the raw materials. Okay. Uh, so all the molds, all the hops. for the whole group. For the whole group. So that includes bone and palm. Not bone. Okay. Only the the, the palm brewery and the, and the Rodenbach brewery. Yeah, yeah. And do you find time then to kind of go and and put your arms around your fooders and to you know chat with people about the, the blending and, and that sort of thing or is that okay the blending happens okay we do the blending <clears throat> every day together so it's not uh, me but uh, it's um, it's a team yeah. who is doing the tasting um, we taste a lot of beers every day and that's very interesting and so how does that work do you do you set up kind of um the the beer from this this fooder number and then oh philip philip is our um, quality engineer and he uh, he is following it up together with his uh, with Peter and, uh, and Mathieu. Uh, so they um, get some samples in the lab, and then we do the the tasting separately afterwards by blending. If we make a blend, then um, the lab will control our tastings if we are on the right specifications. So what you're trying to do there is is find consistency with other batches. That's yes, that's um, the most important thing. Because people want to have craft beers uh, and love craft beers, but uh, they want to have it always in the same style or in the same range. If you do it once, uh, very sour. The other one, less sour, more bitter, less bitter. People will not accept that. So even uh, people who love uh, craft beers. Okay, we also have a beer here beside this one. This is the Rodenbach Grand Cru. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so maybe this is a good chance to, to tell me about the different brands that you have. So we've, we've tasted the classic. Yeah. Uh, this is the Grand Cru. So first of all, tell me about this beer and how it Grand Cru is our second brand. Uh, it's a very important brand. In origin, it was, um, uh, it was a seasonal. It was a, an unblended beer um, till, um, till the 90s. Um, but then um, the brand became very popular. And every time... Be- Grand Cru was, in fact, an unblended beer of 18 months. Normally, we, we keep our beer or we mature our beer during, during two years on the vats, on average. And then we make a blend to make a modern blend, like, as you know, maybe the fooder beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you have the, the possibility to, to taste it. Um, but fooder beer is, is the blend of two years old beers. And in, and in the past, Grand Cru was, a, was an unblended fooder beer of 18 months. But every time there was another another flavor in it because we have 294 vats and every vat has its own flavor. It was very difficult um, to have always the same flavor in the Grand Cru. And we received a lot of remarks about that in the 90s and then we decided uh, to make um, a more um, stable flavor or to bring a more stable flavor in the beer was that from taste. just members of the public that kind yes. of commented on, on yes the, yeah that's right and then uh, 
we discovered that two thirds of old mature beer of two years old and one third of um, young beer, uh, so not matured on wood, uh, was the best match. So the average in Grand Cru is 16 months on wood. Mm-hmm. In the past, it was around 18 months on wood. So it's nearly the same, but it is more stable, um, the, the one batch um, comparing with the other one. And then how does, how does it differ in flavour to the classic? This beer is much more sour. There's, the green apple flavour is, um, is, is um, much more higher. It's more prominent. Yeah, yeah it's more and prominent. It's, uh, and you have also more um, flavour of sour cherries. Yeah, you get the red not flavor, Not flavour, but certainly the taste. You yeah, have more the yeah. taste of um, uh, sour cherries, yeah. a little bit of raspberries and also red currants. Yeah. And it's got a little bit more body as well. Um, yeah. The alcohol is a little bit higher, I think. A little bit. It's one, uh, one ABV higher. So it's six ABV comparing with the other one, who, is, um, who has uh, 5.1, 5.2. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol is not our um, destination, is not, our, um, is not a thing that we um, want to pronounce in our beers. So the... the, the the alcohol must be completely incorporated in the in the taste. So it you need the alcohol to give it more body and and, and, and to make it very drinkable and um, and to make it also very isotonic and so on. But uh, alcohol is not our duty. Alcohol is is something that we need yeah. um, to make it uh, a very good beer. Uh, it's it's more it's more sour. It's more crispy. And it goes better together with some, um, uh, if you compare it with, or with, for food pairing, goes better with grilled meat and um, more peppery food. Also, very, it goes very well together with uh, uh, blue cheese and um, uh, Italian cheeses. Uh, th- th- this is this is the other thing that um, that that this that your burrito so well is. Um, th- these beers are fantastic with food, um, and you know th- it's sort of all those different flavors you mentioned that are that are contributing to that. Um, so you, you know you, you compare it with sort of the peppery, spicy things, some mm-hmm. some meat dishes, some fish dishes. It goes great with desserts as well. Um, and as you move up the the chain in your in the different brands, the flavors become a little bit more intense, mm-hmm. and you can match that intensity with with the other flavors too. That's right. If you compare the Grand Cru with the classical Rodenbach, the classical Rodenbach goes very well together with seafood, uh, mussels, shrimps, uh, but also fish. Um, it, it's more, um, it's not so aggressive, and also the the, the, the drinks that you need um, for pairing with fish must be very um, uh, very sensitive and not too aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. What's after the Grand Cru then, in terms of your... Is it the vintage? Tennis is the vintage. Vintage is um, one ABV higher, a higher density, uh, two years matured on wood, and, um, and unblended. That's, uh, that's the difference. The vintage... So this is, this is one that comes out once a year? It, that comes out, out once a year. Uh, every year you have a differentiation in the, in, the, in the flavor and the taste, and that's normal. That's uh, really normal. Uh, but in fact, it has the, the inspiration of the old Grand Cru. Mm-hmm. The old Grand Cru was unblended, sure. but 18 months, vintage is yeah. two years old. So it's kind of a, a little throwback to, 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 
the past. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> I mean, in my head, I am picturing you uh, wandering through the brewery, uh, tapping random fooders to, to mm-hmm. see which one you prefer. I mean, how how does that work in practice for choosing the fooder for that year's vintage? Uh, maybe uh, we know very well where <laughs> where we can find our beers and how old they are. So the the lab is doing that uh, daily. They control the beers. Uh, they measure the beers. Uh, they're following it up. And uh, when they became ready to to taste and to blend, <clears throat> they br- they will bring them in the in the in the lab to do the tasting every every noon. Yeah. So, how many fooders do you have? Uh, we have two hundred ninety four fooders. So it's uh, quite and, interesting. And, and obviously, <clears throat> they all have their own kind of personalities. That's right. Uh, they are they have their own age. They have uh, their own culture, and then there will be also an evolution uh, during the maturation period so at the beginning you have a more beer flavor at the end you have a more cider flavor so there is a, a, a huge evolution during uh, during the time during the two years and would you ever have a heated discussion say well i think it should be food that 201 and the other no. the other guy says I, I think it should be I, we are well trained uh, we do it daily together and uh, we understand very well uh, what our consumer wants to have in the bottle and in the glass, and we taste um, in his place. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, we've learned it also by from others. So uh, discussions. No, I cannot. I can say we never have had a, a real discussion about it. Uh, we found those always a, a solution. Um, and this, you know, you've been working together for such a long period of time as well. That uh, maybe I can tell you this. Um, I was, uh, I was uh, a few times uh, judge on the World Beer Cup, 2006 in Seattle, then um, 2010 it was in Chicago, then 2012 it was in San Diego, 2014 in in, um, in Denver, uh, and then you work together, you taste together with international judges. Uh, from Romania, Brazil, uh, from everywhere. Uh, and um, in the final round, when you when they give you eight, ten beers, I can say, if you, if you work together with eight judges, um, the top three, you will find them back in the top five of every judge. Mm-hmm. So it's really very easy to find... Um, the best beer, mm-hmm. yeah. and that is what we try to do every day again. But then you, uh, you must be train yourself. Yeah, I mean it's something that you guys have been doing for such a long period of time, yeah. and um, it's a process that you're familiar with and you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, so, so, <clears throat> I mean, you, what you're doing is effectively you're you're in your brand spanking new brew house, mm-hmm. which is you know fairly high tech. You're brewing a top fermented beer, mm-hmm. and you're putting that top fermented beer. Mm-hmm. into fooders to mature. Okay, there's a second step. So uh, first of all, in a brew house, you, has, you have to make the best wort you can. It, you have to make it very hygienic um, and without off flavors, no DMS, sure. nothing at all. The wort must be and what, as good as possible. Just on the wort, what, what sort, I mean, what sort of, uh, is it a very simple grain bill that you're using? Uh, we use barley malts, we use a little bit of corn grits, 
Because um, you're also getting the colour from, from your green yeah, bit as well. Uh, colored moulds. We only use colored moulds uh, because we need that for the ageing on wood. Otherwise, uh, we did not or we will not have enough reduction capacity. And that's important. That's completely uh, different comparing um, uh, Lambic beers. There will work around, with around 60% of... Uh, Pills molds and forty percent of unmolded uh, uh, wheat. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of I suppose a, a big difference as well. That, you know, the people might be interested in is that the Rodenbach is kind of mixed fermentation. It's a mixed. It's fermentation. not a top fermented beer. It's not a spontaneously fermented beer. It's a okay, but the the, the main fermentation uh, happens on a temperature uh, of uh, top fermented beers, yeah. but with our own mixed yeast culture. And what will that say? That we say that we have uh, our original um, um, mixed strain uh, that we have uh, purified, mm-hmm. and we know very well with uh, which strain. What's in there? Yeah, yeah. What's in uh, what's in the strain, and uh, which one is the is the best for us, and which one must, you have to find them the most in our mixed culture. Yeah, that's the that's a mixed yeast culture. That's not mixed fermentation. Mixed fermentation will also say having a top fermented yeah. beer and after top fermentation the, the main fermentation we do a lagering uh, decantation that we um, that there is a precipitation of, of the yeast cells in the um, after uh, during the lagering all the yeast cells are sinking down sure, yeah. because we don't want to go with uh, too much yeast cells on our wooden vats yeah. and that's also a big difference if you compare that with spontaneous fermented beers they will do the, the the main fermentation and the maturation on the same vats. Yeah. And that's also the reason why they work with laying vats. Yeah. The, the vats are laying on their side. Whereas your fillers are all upright. Yes. Yeah. Because we fill them with a, an alcoholic beer. So the the beer that will that we will bring in the in the vats is protected by his alcohol. Yeah. And also his acidity because the the acidity is around four point one between three point nine and four point one. If you compare that with wort then you will go with a, a liquid of, with a pH of around 5.4 on wood. So that's very, very difficult. Does the surface area of the fooder have an impact on the, the activity in the fooders? Yes. In what right. way? And, and the maturation speed of the beer in, uh, on the fooder depends on the, the average of the inner side surface over the volume. So the bigger the vats are, uh, the slower the maturation speed is. And you have fooders of different sizes in the room? Yeah, we have fooders be- with, a, with a size between 120 hectoliters, 12,000 liters, up to 65,000 liters or 650 hectoliters. Yeah. So that's a, a huge... Yeah, huge difference. And you can obviously see that firsthand, the, the difference yeah. in sort of the, but, the rate of yeah. activity. Yeah, that's our... Um, it's, 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 your, it's your thing. Yeah, it's it's our thing. Yes, okay, that's yeah. that's very simple. That's, that's, that's <laughs> simple. It's very yeah, simple, simple, but okay. And and um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about what what's in there? I know it's 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 you know it's very particular to your brewery, and you have your ways of doing it. But in terms of you know the lactic acid presence and bethanomyces, if there is, if yeah. that's active, sort of what okay. what cocktail or what what is is producing Rodenbach as it comes out? First of all, it's important um, the the beer, the young beer, um, must be well fermented. So uh, if it's nearly completely fermented, 
before we go on wood. And there, our um, culture, who is in the vats, will do the rest. So they will do the the, the, the fermentation of the rest sugars. Um, uh, and uh, in our vats, you will find back a zoo of Brettanomyces strains, together with lactic bacteria, acetic bacteria. And that is what happens in our vats. Uh, and at the end, um, there will come out of the vats um, a beer that is completely fermented, uh, nearly zero a, um, um, rest sugar mm. in the in the beer. And what what is your biggest challenge, or what's the thing that you're most um, concerned about, or protecting it from? The most important thing is is, is uh, to realize every every time um, a flavor in the in the in the vats and in the beer. That is nearly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so consistency. And therefore, consistency. That is very important. We work on this project since more than 200 years. So we have in every vat, um, it, every vat has its own culture. And if, um, but after several um, um, aging processes, uh, let me say after f- five cycles, six, six yeah. cycles, yeah. we um, will find back at the inner side um, beer stone that we have to remove, sure. we have to, to scrape it away, and then we will lose our culture. Then we will inoculate the vat with the best culture we have in our vats. From another food. From another food. So it's a pied de cuve. Um, um, yeah. And, and uh, when we start up a new fooder or, um, or we will renew a fooder, then we will start them up also with the best culture we have. Yeah. And um, Does that go on then and take on its own personality yeah. after that? Yeah, okay, but and that is how we're doing it, how we are doing it. If you make, a, let me say, an IPA uh, after four weeks, main fermentation takes one week, uh, lagering one week, uh, and then two weeks, uh, one week cold stabilization and one week filling. After five weeks, you will have a refermented IPA in the bottle. So if you cannot make after six months a good IPA, then you're not a good brewer, right? Making a good sour beer, it takes decades. Sure. And that's the big difference. Um, so at the end, we blend the beer back with the young beer, the unmatured beer, to bring balance in the product, um, to give, uh, to bring the pH in the product, also the flavor. If we use more old mature beer, then we begin, then the, the, the blended beer will be more crispy, more like the Grand Cru. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even more crispy, like the the vintage. Um, and at the end, um, we will stabilize the product so that we we guarantee that the product will be stable or stay stable in the bottle for quite a long time. And if we if you export, then um, you have a few possibilities to uh, to keep the flavor in the bottle, and that is what the consumer really want to have. If you look to wine. All wines are pasteurized, but in a chemical way. Mm-hmm. They use sulfides yeah. to pasteurize sure. the wine. Will that say that the wine will not be, that there will, no, uh, that there will not be an evolution in the wine? There is an evolution in the wine. You have the reaction between the polyphenols of the tannins together with the anthocyanins of the coloration, still having a chemical pasteurization. We do a thermal pasteurization, only to stabilize the flavor. And you can do it on a higher level, but also on a very low level. And that is what we do. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially to ensure that 
that people are drinking Rodenbach wherever they get a bottle, as it was intended. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, are there people that that sort of ask questions about that or, or, or people are, are... I think people who ask questions about it uh, do not know anything about beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. No, that's that's fine. Um, well, talking about beer, let's open another bottle. Yeah. Um, maybe we could go with the vintage. Okay. So maybe you could uh, open this one and get some glasses for you guys. Maybe we use... We have to drink our beers and yeah. then... Reuse our glasses. So unfortunately, I could, oh, I could, I got my hands on a 2012 vintage, and you, you just told me you have a 2007 that you could have brought. Yeah, which is very disappointing, but it's, <laughs> we'll we'll see what we can do with this. And I mean, this is this is something that you probably were doing quite a lot um, when you were traveling in America, pouring beers. Yeah, and signing bottles. Mm. And signing bottles. This is for the groupies, really. Yeah. I had a lot of lot of groupies over there. The um, I'm not sure if it's on this bottle, but on 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 the recent vintage, there's a a, a picture. Yeah. Of a man standing in a in a fooderzaal in a fooder room. That's right. And that man is Rudiger here. They're looking for a small boy. <laughs> to see the the dimension of uh, of the big fats. So they needed. Uh, so, so you were placed there just to show how tall the, the fooders were. Uh, it was the smallest one, so. <laughs> it's actually it's, it's quite an iconic uh, image, and I think it, it, it works really well on the bottle. Okay, I was not looking for that. This was for me not uh, so important. Uh, really, I I don't I don't want to stay on it, but okay, I will do it for the beer. Good, good. Not for myself. <laughs> um, you know. There's all people sort of throw around terms when they talk about this style of beer. Um, I've I've seen it being referred to, you know, in in, in the the BJCP guidelines as Flanders Red. Some people call it. Some people throw it into the Old Brown category. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I mean, you, you've referred to it yourself as Flemish Red Brown Ale. I mean, how would you describe yeah. um, the, what people refer to when they talk about beer from southwest of Flanders, which is made in this particular way? Red Brown. I think is the, is the right category. Uh, also Flemish red or Flemish red brown, uh, old brown, old brown. Um, a lot of brewers had used that, but old brown in uh, in beer history, certainly in the Netherlands, is a kind of table beer. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a low alcoholic beer without wood aging. Mm-hmm. Old brown normally is not aged on wood. Red brown is aged on wood, but some brewers uh, hadn't fats any longer at the time, and they brought uh, they they, uh, they they brought out um, uh, a dark uh, sour beer, and they called it old brown. Now they have fooders and uh, they do doing they are doing it in the in the right way, but they still call it old brown. I think red brown is a is a better um, or Flemish red, but. Flemish red is also uh, there's some confusion about it because what do you have to say about the sherry beer or um, or a fruit beer that is also and uh, made with red fruit mm-hmm. that's also Flemish red yeah. that is not the right uh, you also talk about uh, Irish reds this is not really red it's red brown mm-hmm. yeah so we should we should rename that style here and now mm-hmm. what do you think Rudy yeah okay um, so yeah I mean it's 
I mean, I hear people sort of referring to it as different things on... Um, you know, th- there is quite a difference in in those beers that are mm-hmm. uh, that are in the steel uh, stainless steel. Say, for example, the, in Odenar, the the leaf ones, mm-hmm. and that's kind of um, a slightly different process to it. I mean, how similar do you think you're making your beer to some of the other breweries that are known for also making Flemish red brown? Um, yeah, we know the beers very well, and every beer has its own um, characteristics. Um, depending of the 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 the, the vats they have, uh, the way they are doing it, uh, and every every beer uh, is typical, and that's I think very important, uh, and is also uh, has all has also a very great consistency, and uh, I'm very thankful for that uh, because when I was now in the states, it was only to give inspiration, and 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 to keep their eyes on the right sour ones because there is a hype about sour beers over there. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of uh, those beers are, are nearly undrinkable or stomach breakers. That, that's actually a fear of yours is that the, the kind of people that are making uh, beers and trying to achieve a similar profile are, are making them and they're not, they're not good and then this will have a, sort of a, a detrimental impact on yeah. people's perception of Rodenbach. That's right. The, the perception of sour beers and that will be uh, very bad also for us uh, I was in uh, on a, uh, after presentation an American uh, craft brewer came to me and he said okay I make a kettle sour beer uh, how can I bring as much flavor as you do in, in my beer and then I've said okay then you need wood you need um, time you need time uh, he said that costs a lot of money so what do you want? Yeah. Make a choice. You have to make your choice. Yeah. So they try to make uh, a sour beer in, in uh, two, three weeks while we are doing it in uh, at least two years. So that's time and money. And do, is that the reason you think that events such as the Roncho Road Brown, which is a, a kind of a... How, how would you explain it to people? It is a kind of promotion for that type of beer. Yeah. because this So it's an open day for brewer, for those breweries that make yeah. that product in Southwest Flanders, yeah. which happens every two years at the end of April. That's and right. it's effectively, you're throwing open the gates of the brewery and people can come see all the mm-hmm. uh, the brewery installation, the food that's all, yes. and uh, get a taste of beers. And they can compare the different um, types of beer, uh, so the, 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 the different beers of the brewery. So this is also very important. They can discover a lot of flavors, a lot of tastes, and also a lot of installations and uh, and, and and different styles of breweries. And do you have a good personal relationship with the the other breweries that are involved? Yes, yes. Uh, certainly the the uh, the brew engineers and and, uh, and the technical guys of the breweries uh, knew each other very well and uh, have a very good understanding. Those who had to uh, defend the product in the market. That's something else. There are more competitors, but really, we know each other very well, and uh, we have a lot of, of respect uh, the one for the other. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about sort of the the profile of person. What type of person comes to that event, or is it you get uh, a lot of foreigners we, or a lot of Belgians? I think we uh, we have uh, three different um, types of uh, uh, people who are coming to the event. Uh, first of all, people from the region. Who are looking for um, a mass event, uh, and who are looking for the for the music that is playing in the breweries, and um, 
and, and for drinking a free beer. Uh, you have uh, also the others, um, local people who are very interesting in the beers and uh, who are really beer lovers. And then we have also international uh, beer uh, lovers who are coming to this event. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to uh, mm-hmm. see how many of the breweries I can get around. And that sort of, you know, you talked about the the influence that Rodenbach has had maybe on breweries, um, on people brewing in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some do it quite well, some better than others. I mean, for example, you talk about some someone like New Belgium. Uh, mm-hmm. Who are who are kind of well known for having their own food or program? Mm-hmm. I mean, do do you have a relationship with that brewery? Um, a relationship, not directly, but I knew Peter Bukart very well, and he is doing very well. So Peter worked in Rodenbach for a while. Peter started his career in Rodenbach in eighty eight, and uh, he moved to the states in ninety uh, six. Thanks to um, um, Jeffrey Lebesch and, uh, and um, Kim Jordan, mm-hmm. who uh, licensed him uh, into um, into their brewery. It's a very small brewery, and now that brewery is, is becoming a very big brewery. They have built a second brewery, and uh, yeah. they started the brewery in uh, in, in Colorado, um, Colorado yeah. uh, Fort Collins, and now they have uh, built it also. I think a brewery in Asheville in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So they are doing very very well. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's obviously assisting them with sort of some of the things that he learned at Rodenbach. Yes, but also uh, his knowledge was very important for that brewery. I think um, New Belgium uh, must be very thankful uh, uh, to Peter, yeah. uh, what he brought in and what he realised for them. Yeah. And have you come across any other breweries in other parts of the world which are, which are making a good stab of, of, a, of a Flemish red-brown? Um, to be honestly, I'm lucky that uh, that I still can say that our beer is uh, is really the reference. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you you you've been involved in Rodenbach for thirty four years. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. you um, but your your family, your your son is also involved in in brewing. That's right. He is a. Um, He's also a brew engineer, but uh, he's a bioengineer specialized in uh, um, bacteria culture. So he, is, uh, he made also a PhD at university. He started with yeast and um, yeast flocculation, but then moved more into bacteria. And now he is uh, completely involved about that. So was it a case of you kind of grabbing him and, and sticking him into a book when he was younger or making him taste lots of different beers or did no he is really interested that was an organic in, decision uh, yes he is really interested in um, in beers and uh, on a certain moment we have had uh, the opportunity to start a small brewery in Ypres and uh, he was very interesting to do that yeah and that's uh, in, in the name of the family so yeah. and also his knowledge uh, is very important over there yeah and that's uh, Bravery Casamatten that's right, yes. And that's, so that's uh, Martin Gekira, your son. Yes. But also there's a, 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 someone else involved in that from another very famous Belgian family yes, brewing uh, dynasty. Ju- <laughs> Julie de Peper is, um, or de Peper, uh, has also uh, half of the shares, uh, the daughter of um, Hans de Peper, who is the owner of uh, the St. Bernardus Brewery. Yeah. Uh, I think world famous. Yeah. Uh, making... Um, 
very, very good beer that you can really compare with the the best uh, Trappist beer in the world. Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole story behind the relationship between right. St. Bernardus and West Flatland, but okay. that's for another podcast, I think, really. I think this is not uh, yeah. the discussion yeah. of this red But the, the, the Casamont itself is, is quite interesting because of its effectively where the brewery is, is located. Yes. The, the place is very interesting and uh, very historical. Uh, but also, I think that the, the beer brands and the beer types they, they are making over there uh, are really new stars. And I think they will bring um, new, in, new inspiration into the beer market. And it's, it's in a, an old Casamat, which is uh, basically... Uh, old it's an old bunker. It's yeah. a, it's it's a historical bunker, bunker uh, built in bricks under the ground. Yeah. Yeah, and there was lots of different uses for that before the brewery came. There used to be used for uh, ripe uh, maturing cheese and things like that. Not that maybe not, right. not that particular one, but there's a okay. series of casamats there. Right, um, they cultivated also mushrooms inside. They there was um, a garage inside, uh, but uh, originally there was a, a bakery inside. So that was uh, the bakery for for um, uh, the, the army. Who had this, their um, barracks, barracks yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, of, yeah. uh, of the soldiers? But they had their bakery inside. Yeah, yeah. in origin, those ca- ca- uh, casemates are built in um, around 1680 by Vauban. Yeah. So under uh, the king of France, Lodewijk the Fourteenth. And during the war, they were used as uh, as a, as a sort of a, a printing. Yes, press they printed location. their they printed their the, local local newspaper for the trenches. Um, and there was also the mess of the officers over there. There was a hospital, so there was. Uh, yeah. It was a very well protected place, uh, and it survived the the first world war. The whole city of Ypres was destroyed, except those old uh, casemates, and certainly those from the wooden horse, are really stayed intact. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, where where do you see? Um where do you see the this this style and and, and the Rodenbach going sort of in the next 10 20 30 years do you, do you, do you think there's a, a rise in, in demand for it or is it gonna just uh, I think it's stabilized um, and but I, th- I see um, opportunities for the future because we ha- we were we have made a lot of uh, we were inventing new beers like um, vintage like character Rouge like Rosso um, and that's that's important, and we try to bring as much as possible flavor into an acceptable alcoholic beer. Yeah. So um, more easy drinking, yes. But I think in the past uh, we have to be careful about with alcohol. Um, um, you have to be always careful with that. Uh, just like uh, y- you. Uh, how can I explain it? Um, You're talking about the alcohol level of the beer. Yeah, because um, alcohol may, may not destroy our lives. So uh, beer is food and beer is conviviality. Beer is friendship. Uh, and it has to be stay fr- uh, very friendly also for your own body. Sure. And that is the, the message that I will make. And therefore, and I think this, this will be the future also for beer. A drinkable product that is good for health, good for your body. Yeah, and I've heard you say some sometimes before that it's the missing link between 
Beer and wine? Beer and wine, yes, yeah. because it has a sourness of wine. It has not the alcohol level, because also with wine you have to be careful. Um, certainly um, by the alcohol level you will find back in, in wines. In the past, wines uh, were between 11 and, and 12 and a half. If you look to the Bordeaux wines, a Bordeaux Superior at the time was two point, it was 12.5. The normal Bordeaux was 12. Now we will find back Bordeaux wines of more than 13, 13 and a half. Mm -hmm. So why? Why we we need so much alcohol? For you, it's important that it's a social, that it's that's part of your, your yeah. diet, it's part of your, your eating and drinking experience. That's right. And, and um, I will not be infected by alcohol. And I think this will be also the future for beer, mm -hmm. a drinkable product mm -hmm. that is good for health. Rudy, do you love what you do? Do you like your job? Yes, I really like my job. <laughs> I love my job. And uh, I think uh, I've given a lot of inspiration to others. Uh, also by giving lessons about beers and by what I'm doing every day. So I, I, I have the possibility to meet a lot of people. So it's... Uh, and I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow's quite a, uh, quite a big day for you. 34 years yeah. at Rodenbach uh, tomorrow. Just, you know, before we finish up, what would you say were your biggest challenges during that time? And what do you think is the thing you're most proud of? Um, oh, most proud uh, that I've survived uh, <laughs> the, the, the 34 years um, uh, in that brewery and that, uh, uh, that I've had the possibility to, to build up the brands and, and um, yeah, <laughs> difficult to say. It's, it's an emotional day. I think um, I try to, to to keep my my feet on the ground, and uh, and that is uh, one of the most important things. So I'm part of the of the process of the brewery. Well, I hope uh, I hope that you continue for another 34 years after tomorrow, and that you have Very a great good. day. And uh, I thanks again for coming and talking to me. And cheers. One last quote is that uh, sour beer keeps you young. Let's hope so. Let's okay. hope so. And thanks, Rudy. Healthy. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.